Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. It's great to have you with us today. Today, the story of pirates Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. The legend lives on. As many of our longtime listeners know, my favorite place to hang out is the Outer Banks of North Carolina, a long stretch of barrier islands off the North Carolina coast that divide the mainland from the Atlantic Ocean, all connected by one long, narrow highway, Route 12. The Outer Banks appeals to me with its wide, sandy beaches, great surf fishing, four-wheel drive access, wild horses that roam free, at least on the north end around Corolla, a lighthouse, marinas, little resort towns like Avon and Buxton and Hatteras, endless dunes topped with seagrass, and history. Lots of history. If we arrive on Coquina Beach, just a little south of Nag's Head, early enough in the morning, we can stand by the water's edge and look up and down the wide beach as far as the eye can see and not see a single soul. Then it's time to break out the beach chairs and blankets and hot coffee and relax. The sound of the breakers is therapy. I call it God's country for beach people, and it is. As for the history, the Outer Banks are home to Roanoke Colony, also called the Lost Colony, the first English settlement in the New World, a colony which mysteriously packed up and disappeared into time, a two-part story that we share here in our archives titled The Lost Colony, and it was one of my absolute favorites to research and seek answers for. At the southern tip of the Outer Bank stands the island of Ocracoke, best known as the place where Blackbeard met his fate at the hands of Lieutenant Maynard and his crew. My family enjoys the little shops in Ocracoke as well as the hangouts, one of those being Zilly's, a wine and cheese shop with a wide deck that hosts locals and tourists with a casual flair. It was here that I met Anne Bonny. Well, the personification of Anne Bonny, anyway. It happened during the Blackbeard Festival that the island hosts every fall right around the time Blackbeard lost his head back in 1718. He had stayed too long that fall waiting for a king's pardon that ended up arriving a few weeks too late for him to enjoy. His crew was angry with him for the delay. They wanted to head for the Caribbean to start enjoying their take, and the weather was blowing colder day by day. You can find his story by searching our archives for Blackbeard, the man in the myth. And no, his real name wasn't Teach, it was Beard. And he wasn't from England, he was from Bath, North Carolina, or so I believe, and so was most of his local crew. They knew the shoals and the inlets all along that stretch, as well as the places to hide a ship, better than most, because they grew up navigating around them. The invention of the name Teach was undoubtedly intended to throw suspicion off his local roots. He was no doubt feeling like the black sheep of the family once he turned pirate, the Black Beard. His family, the Beards, were neighbors to Tobias Knight right there in Bath, North Carolina, and Knight was the British-appointed customs officer who, as legend has it, maintained close contact with Blackbeard and even stored his booty in an underground cellar accessible from the dock. Sitting on the deck at Zilly's in the little village of Ocracoke, enjoying wine, the piped-in music, and good conversation, I felt a tap on my shoulder and turned to see a female pirate wearing a loose blouse and colonial-style skirt with a flintlock pistol tucked in her belt. She introduced herself, offered some bawdy comments, and we invited her to join us for a drink. She was one of the locals who volunteered to wander through the town in pirate garb to add some flavor to the festivities, which were scheduled to include a reenactment of Blackbeard's capture. And she certainly did provide some flavor. At one point she proudly showed off her metal leg, including her USA flag-painted metal toenails, a leg which she had lost in service to her country. 
Soon she went her own way, leaving behind a moment remembered, and the thought in my mind that one day I would do a story about Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, whose legends have grown over the years to the point where they've been featured as major players in the pirate world and symbols of female strength and independence. A lot has been said and written about them since 1724, much of it untrue, and today's story will share what we know of the real story that exists when you peel away all the myth. I can break it down for you right now. They were very likely women trapped in poverty who ended up as pirates, which they did for a period of about two months, an active eight weeks or so that landed them pregnant and in jail and sentenced to die. The irony of it all was that they had no idea that their brief sojourn into the pirate world would gain them immortality. One sadly died in prison, and one lived long enough to possibly, if the book became known to her, see her name in lights, so to speak, as she became a featured player in a very famous book on pirates which was read round the known world. Her name included, along with her friends, in the front leaf of that book following the title. A little history on piracy. The golden age of piracy lasted from about 1650 to 1730 and left us hundreds of stories. One of the most unique pirate tales is the story of a pair of women pirates, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, a story which has inspired a huge number of books, articles, movies, video games, and documentaries. Some examples? Anne Bonny is the main character in the 2021 Netflix docuseries, The Lost Pirate Kingdom. And Bonnie and Reed are portrayed in the animated film Detective Conan, Jolly Ringer in the Deep Azure. Anne Bonnie is featured in the video game Assassin's Creed IV, Black Flag. She's featured as the main character in the Stars series Black Sails. She's featured in the song The Ballad of Mary Reed and Anne Bonnie by the Baja Brigade. She's featured as Captain Anne Bonnie in the 50s movie Abbott and Costello Meet Captain Kidd. And she's a supporting character in the anime series Fina Pirate Princess. Best of all, Bonnie and Reed gained immortality when a statue of them was recently unveiled at Execution Dock in Wapping, London. The articles out there and the books are too numerous to list, but I'll share a few. One is Tony Bartleby's excellent deep dive into the truth behind her legend, which you can find by searching for the true and false stories of Anne Bonnie, Pirate Woman of the Caribbean. Then on the other end of that spectrum, Joan Druitt's She-Captain's Heroines and Hellions of the Sea, a story which obviously paints the pair some pretty tough cookies. Other books and articles suggest a relationship between the two. A few books literally manufacture details, and that has managed to cloud the real history. But the book that got it all started was Captain Charles Johnson's 1724, A General History of the Robberies and Murders of Most Pirates, also called The General History of Pirates, depending on which edition you're reading. And as soon as you enter the book, the leading page headlines the pirate duo Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, proving that the media was just as eager to feature stories about women who wander off the reservation then as they are today. The book sold so well that there were four editions on the street by 1724, the fourth edition having been enlarged with more stories added. And what stories they were! The stories offered detail after detail of the lives of pirates, most of who were unknown prior to the book's release. Some, like Captain Morgan, Henry Avery, and Blackbeard, who had become legends. Historians generally agree that there was no Captain Charles Johnson, and that that name is a pen name for another author, and they're still battling over who actually wrote the book. Many, starting with literary scholar John Robert Moore in 1932, believe the author was Daniel Defoe, who was an extremely prolific writer, using over 118 different pen names in his career 
with some of his best novels written during the time period that the general history of pirates was released. For instance, he wrote Robinson Crusoe in 1719. And Moore found a great number of comparisons between Defoe's writings and that of general history. More recently, historians, including author Colin Woodard, are giving the credit to Nathaniel Mist, a former journalist, sailor, and publisher connected with Charles Rivington, the original publisher of General History of Pirates. There's no doubt that the writer had access to many of these men and news accounts of the day, either personal access or access to court records or both, and that a portion of the details are either wrong, embellished by the tellers, or made up. But the author got too much right or partially right to allow us to discount the book as a bunch of lies, although some historians have tried. Notice I mentioned court records. Almost all captured pirates who were brought back to England were held at Marshalsea Prison in Southward, or at Newgate, until their court hearing at the Admiralty Courts, which were packed with the newspeople of the Times, and they would print broadsides containing all the salacious information that was shared during the trial. Those that were found guilty and sentenced to death would then be paraded from the prison over London Bridge, past the Tower of London, and towards Wapping, where Execution Dock was located. The streets were lined with spectators, and the river was packed full of boats, all keen to see the execution take place. There was one pub, the Turk's Head Inn, which, by the way, is now a cafe, which was allowed to serve the condemned pirates a last quart of ale for their journey from the prison to the docks. The hanging was done with a short rope, which, unlike the traditional long rope, which delivered a broken neck, failed to break the neck, causing the victim to slowly strangle by their own weight as their body twitched and danced, a real crowd-pleaser for the London crowds. How times have changed, and that's a good thing, although if it were being done today... I have a hunch the same type of crowds would be in attendance, maybe with a few less kids watching. Pirates, especially the ones who were known for exacting cruelties upon their captives, were the scourge of the seas, and everyone depended one way or another upon shipping in those days. Fortunes were at the mercy of storms, dangerous reefs, and pirates. If you traveled the oceans during those years, especially anywhere near the Caribbean, you had good reason to be afraid of pirates. Those of you who lived on the east coast of the U.S. in 2002 will remember the panic and terror caused by the Beltway Snipers, 16-year-old John Lee Malvo, who, under the tutelage of 42-year-old convicted murderer John Alad Mohammed, killed 10 people in the D.C. metro area and 7 people elsewhere off of I-95, and injured many more in a series of random shootings from their car. For weeks, people were afraid to travel. The news was all about the killings. John Allen Muhammad got the lethal injection in 2008, and his teenage accomplice, John Lee Malvo, was serving four life sentences. The reason I mention them at all is that they were feared and hated by most. They picked on the innocent, in this instance not for riches, but to satisfy their own bloodlust. And they became, in a manner of speaking, modern-day pirates, vultures, preying upon their fellow man. And by the way, the pirates of the Golden Age were as different as the criminals of today. Some did little or no killing, like Blackbeard. Some seemed to enjoy torture and killing. Some sacked entire port cities and killed anyone who got in their way or failed to give up the path to the riches. Some, like Henry Avery, captured ships' treasures valued today in the hundreds of millions, then returned to England, no doubt splitting their takings with the crown, and then disappeared from public life. Some, like William Kidd, ended up in the gibbets near Execution Dock on the Thames, some were basically unsuccessful poachers, one great example being Calico Jack Rackham, 
"'named Calico for the bright clothing he chose to wear. "'And he was the pirate captain that Mary Reed and Anne Bonny served under. "'Some other people just kind of fell into piracy, "'seeking adventure and escape from the hard life that they had, "'and willing to take a shot at untold riches. "'That was very likely the case with young Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. "'Today the names Anne Bonny and to a lesser degree Mary Reed "'have become well known and very much distorted from what they really were.' It has been hinted that Anne Bonny and Mary Reed were lesbians, and there is nothing in any records to indicate that. That they both enjoyed the company of men is found, and often, well documented. Anne Bonny has been singled out as a feminist hero, and even as an LGBT icon. People tend to mold historical characters into versions of how they'd like to see themselves. We'll begin with Anne Bonny's story right after these sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. I'll support this story going forward with excerpts from the general history of pirates by Captain Charles Johnson, and whether some of it or most of it is hearsay or not, its value of being written during the pirate years and during Anne Bonny's lifetime is priceless. Anne Bonny's birthday is speculated to be around 1700. She's said to be born in Old Head of Kinsale in County Cork, Ireland. Her early life comes mostly from general history of pirates, which, I must say, spent way too much time trying to relate the salacious affair which led to her birth, rendering their chapter on Anne much closer to a National Enquirer article than a history, and drawing lots of criticism from researchers looking for the truth. Of all the profiles that they put in that book, hers was probably the weakest, but it was still good. As the story goes, Bonnie's father, William Cormack, whose name, by the way, has not been verified, and was probably added by a fairly recent author, and we'll talk about that later, had an affair with the maid, which led to the illegitimate birth of Anne. He soon left his wife and moved to London to get away from his wife's family, and he began dressing his daughter as a boy and calling her Andy. When Cormac's wife discovered William had taken in the illegitimate daughter and was bringing the child up to be a lawyer's clerk and dressing her as a boy, she stopped giving him an allowance. Why a lawyer would need an allowance is, of course, a mystery. As the story goes, Cormac then moved to the province of Carolina, taking along his former serving girl, the mother of Bonnie. He also abandoned the original Mick prefix of their family name to blend more easily into the Charlestown citizenry. At first, the family had a rough start in their new home, but Cormac's knowledge of law and ability to buy and sell goods soon financed a townhouse and eventually a plantation just out of town. Bonnie's mother died when she was 12. Her father eventually left the law practice and joined a more profitable merchant business, accumulating a substantial fortune. All as the story goes, none of it verified. A general history of pirates offers this explanation. At first he, Anne's father, followed the practice of law in that province, but afterwards fell into merchandise, which proved more successful to him, for he gained by it sufficient means to purchase a plantation. His maid, who passed for his wife, happened to die, after which Anne, now grown up, kept his house. She was of a fierce and courageous temper, wherefore, when she lay under condemnation, Several stories were reported of her, much to her disadvantage, as that she had killed an English servant-maid once in her passion with a case-knife while she looked after her father's house, but this story was found to be groundless. It was certain she was so robust that once, when a young fellow would have lain with her against her will, she beat him so that he lay ill of it for a considerable time. Back to our story. She married a poor sailor, small-time pirate, and penniless ne'er-do-well named James Bonney. That's how she got her name. James hoped to win possession of his father-in-law's estate, but Bonnie was disowned by her father. 
Anne's father did not approve of James Bonney as a husband for his daughter, and he kicked Anne out of their house. There is a story that Bonney set fire to her father's plantation in retaliation, but, like most of the story, no evidence exists to support that. However, it is known that sometime between 1714 and 1718, she and James Bonney moved to Nassau on New Providence Island, known as a sanctuary for English pirates called the Republic of Pirates. The Republic of Pirates was the base or stronghold of a loose confederacy run by privateers turned pirates in Nassau on New Providence Island in the Bahamas for about 11 years, from 1706 until 1718. While it was not a republic in a formal sense, it was governed by an informal pirate code, which dictated that the crews of the republic would vote on the leadership of their ships and treat other pirate crews with civility. The activities of the pirates caused havoc with trade and shipping in the West Indies until newly appointed royal governor of the Bahama Islands, Woods Rogers, reached Nassau in 1718 and restored British control. Rogers, who was a former privateer himself, offered clemency to the pirates of the Bahamas, known as the King's Pardon, an offer many pirates took advantage of, and though a few would return to piracy in the following years, breaking their pledge, British control of the Bahamas had been pretty well secured. It was also recorded that, after the arrival of Governor Woods Rogers in the summer of 1718, James Bonney became an informant for the governor. Bonney would report to Governor Rogers about the pirates in the area, which resulted in a multitude of these pirates being arrested. Anne very much disliked the work her husband did for Governor Rogers. While in the Bahamas, Bonney, becoming thoroughly disgusted with her husband, began mingling with pirates in the taverns. There she met John Calico Jack Rackham, and he became her lover. He offered money to her husband, James Bonney, if he would divorce her, but her husband refused and ran to the governor who threatened to have Anne flogged if she didn't return to her husband. The two resolved to leave the island and look for a vessel to steal. As luck would have it, a merchant vessel named the William, and known to be very fast, lay anchored in Nassau Harbor. Anne snuck aboard one night and determined the number of crewmen aboard and the hour that the watch changed. At midnight, Anne, Rackham, and a number of his old crewmates from earlier days quietly boarded the sloop. Dressed as a sailor, with a sword in one hand and a pistol in the other, Anne surprised the two men on watch and told them she would blow their brains out if they offered the slightest resistance. Soon the sloop was beating out to sea, and Anne was free from her husband and Woods Rogers' threat. Anne, Bonnie, and Calico Jack Rackham didn't exactly become the pirate scourges of the Caribbean, but they created a minor nuisance wherever they went. Sort of like Bonnie and Clyde robbing grocery stores and then stopping to empty out the nickels from the gumball machine before they left. Which they did. I really enjoyed doing that story. It's in our archives here at 1001 Heroes. Just search Bonnie and Clyde. The two, Anne Bonnie and Calico Jack Rackham, got busy as pirates, plundering coastal traders and even fishing boats, even taking their netting and whatever cash they had on hand. Some of those traders, and some were merchant ships, had crews, and Rackham was adept at pressing some of the better ones into service. One of those captured traders was Dutch, and along with a few others offered up a Dutch boy that Anne took a liking to. But it wasn't long before she discovered that the boy wasn't a boy, and he wasn't Dutch. It was a girl named Mary Reed, and she was English. As the story goes, Mary was also born out of wedlock, and she'd been pretty much raised as a boy. In fact, her mother had dressed her in boys' clothes to deceive her relatives. As her son had died, Mary was illegitimate, and her relatives had not seen the son in some time. General history puts it this way. 
and this begins after the presumed death at sea of her husband. She ventured to dress it, Mary, as a boy, brought it to town, and presented it to her mother-in-law as her husband's son, which it wasn't. Here the old woman would have taken it and bred it up, but the mother pretended it would break her heart to part with it, so it was agreed betwixt them that the child should live with the mother, and the supposed grandmother should allow a crown a week for his maintenance. Thus the mother gained her point. She bred up her daughter as a boy, and when she grew up to some sense, she thought it proper to let her into the secret of her birth, to induce her to conceal her sex. Then it happened that the grandmother died, by which means the subsistence coming from that quarter ceased, and they were more and more reduced in their circumstances, wherefore the mother was obliged to put her daughter out to wait on a French lady as a footboy, being now thirteen years of age. Here she did not stay long, for growing bold and strong, and having also a roving mind, Mary entered herself upon a man of war, where she served some time, then quitted it, and went over to Flanders. Our story continues. Mary kept up the role play after leaving her mother, thinking maybe a man's life offered more opportunity, and entered the king's service as a cabin boy aboard a man of war, then went on to serve first as a foot soldier, then as a dragoon in Flanders during the War of the Spanish Succession. She apparently gave all this history at her trial, the text of which still survives today in Jamaica. Mary proved courageous, but after a while her zest for combat began to wane. Her true sex began to take control, and she fell in love with her tent-mate, a Flemish youth, who was surprised and delighted, to say the least, to find that his tent-mate was a young woman. Soon, in order to maintain her honor, he insisted upon marrying her. They both left the service and set themselves up as tavern-keepers in Holland, and for the first time Mary found herself wearing women's clothes. But fate stepped in, her husband got sick, and died from a fever. Mary could not keep the business and returned to what she knew best, the sea. She disguised herself as a sailor and signed aboard a Dutch ship. When that vessel was captured by Calico Jack Rackham, Mary gamely signed the pirate articles, casting her lot with the buccaneers. Just as Mary was confiding all this to Anne, as the story goes, Calico Jack came upon the couple whispering to each other, and then a fit of jealousy threatened to kill them both. That was when Anne told Rackham that Mary Reed was a woman. Rackham finally calmed down and agreed to go along with the ruse, and soon Mary had fallen head over heels for a young sailor whom Rackham had forced into service. One trial witness said, She suffered the discovery of her sex by carelessly showing her breasts, which were very white. Apparently Mary and Anne were pretty salty when it came to fighting. In one account, given by a female passenger of a merchantman that Rackham attacked, in October of 1720, they put on a terrifying show, raging out of the cannon smoke with cutlasses and shouting curses, while wearing jackets and long pants. That passenger's name was Dorothy Thomas, who testified at their trial, and she said they were clearly women. She was to say, I could tell by the largeness of their breasts. The cursing and the threats to kill Thomas and the people on her ship did not go well for Bonnie and Reed at the trial, as you can imagine. Neither did the incident which occurred about a week later when Rackham's ship was surprised by a British Navy sloop. He and his crew were drunk, too drunk to fight, and they hid in the hold. The two women flew at the British sailors like hellhounds unleashed, firing their pistols and flailing away with the cutlasses until they realized that the crew wasn't behind them, at which point Mary turned back to the door to the hold, fired her pistol at the first man who showed himself, at the same time wounding a few others and screamed at them to come out and fight like men. They were overwhelmed and taken to Jamaica, where they were convicted and sentenced by Governor Laws to be hanged. 
"'According to Johnson, Bonnie's last words to Rackham were, "'Had you fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog.' "'Reed and Bonnie, at their trial, both pleaded their bellies, "'asking for mercy because they were pregnant, "'and the court granted them a stay of execution until they gave birth. "'But Reed died in prison, most likely from a fever during childbirth. "'A ledger from a church in Jamaica lists her burial on April 28, 1721, "'and it reads, Mary Reed, Pirate.' "'There is no record of Bonnie's release, "'and this has fed speculation as to her fate.' A ledger lists the burial of an Anne Bonney on December 29, 1733, in the same town in Jamaica where she was tried. And, as it turns out, that ledger is probably correct. We'll provide more on that in a few minutes. Charles Johnson writes, in A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates, She was continued in prison to the time of her lying in, and afterwards reprieved from time to time. But what has become of her since, we cannot tell. Only this we know, that she was not executed. Other sources have stated that she may have returned to the United States after her imprisonment, dying in South Carolina in April of 1782. Now here's the interesting part of her story. Lately, one eager researcher has hit the jackpot with regard to finding documentation of her death. His name is Tyler Bioshock Rodriguez, a YouTube video maker from Ohio and he has unearthed archival records that shed new light on these mysterious women and their fates, documents that throw cold water on the most elaborate yarns. Rodriguez, 22, lives in central Ohio and does odd jobs in between his work on YouTube. In 2018, two friends he had named Jiff and Sepp made a video about the 1980s Freddy Freaker toy. It went viral on YouTube, and they decided to create a channel called The Debunk File. Their goal was to examine crimes, mysteries, and historical events and determine whether or not they were true. So far, the videos have attracted more than 17,000 subscribers. In the process of studying documentaries and videos in addition to books on the subject, I came across this video, which is a one-hour-plus, well-researched piece of work starting with a good rundown of the history of pirates in the Golden Age and Calico Jack Rackham, all with the purpose of providing backdrop for the lives of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed and his research accepted no BS, separating fact from fiction and being honest about it. You can find it if you search YouTube plus Debunk File plus Anne Bonny. It's a well-done piece. What inspired Rodriguez to do this? Like me, he's intrigued by telling the story the right way. He likes to dig deep, and he lets the chips fall where they may. It all started one summer when he and his friends brainstormed about future videos, and they said, Why not do a pirate mystery? Rodriguez did some quick digging and came across Anne Bonny's story. And it was a seductive one. A fierce woman who busted through the era's rigid social hierarchy to become a feared pirate. I thought it would be easy to find out the truth, he said. There was plenty of information floating around. Historians have long plundered her story for their books on pirates. The Stars Network show Black Sails featured her character prominently. Local artists even painted a mural of her in a park on Folly Beach. It shows her glaring and holding a saber. But as Rodriguez dug into her story, he realized that many of the juiciest parts of her story couldn't be verified, and likely were fiction. He came across the Post and Courier special report, Arg, The True and False Stories of Anne Bonny, by Tony Bartlemy last year, which showed how historians have distorted Bonnie's story over time, like a long game of telephone. After finding that, Rodriguez grew even more determined to find answers. 
he discovered that verifiable records of Bonnie's life are limited at best. Her name first popped up in 1720 in newspapers amid a pirate spree. At the time, the Bahamas had become a notorious den of pirates and prostitutes. Using the islands as a base, thieves terrorized communities from the Carolinas to the Southern Caribbean. In response, a British governor issued proclamations that a gang led by John Rackham were pirates and enemies to the crown of Great Britain. He identified two women, Mary Reed and Anne Fulford, alias Bonnie. The British eventually captured the crew off Jamaica. They tried the pirates in St. Iago de la Vega, Jamaica, near what is today Kingston. A transcript of the trial remains the best source of the women's actions. It's called The Trials of Captain John Rackham. The Trials of Captain John Rackham and Other Pirates is the official account of the trials and convictions of Anne Bonney, Mary Reed, and her crewmates. Witnesses described Bonney and Reed as fierce women who didn't appear to be held by force. One said the women were very profligate, cursing and swearing much, and very ready and willing to do anything on board. Another, a woman in a dugout canoe, who we discussed earlier in this story, told the court that Bonnie and Reed wore men's jackets, long trousers, and had handkerchiefs tied around their heads. She said they carried pistols and machetes and urged the men to murder her. The transcript described how all the pirates were sentenced to hang, but that Bonnie and Reed said they were pregnant and they were spared. Four years after the trial, a book called The General History of Pirates added new details. Its author was Captain Charles Johnson, a pen name for a writer whose identity, as we know, remains unknown. His account described Bonnie as the daughter of a plantation owner from South Carolina who ran off with Calico Jack Rackham. While some aspects of the book are accurate, many details, including the Carolina connections, are suspect and unverified. The book, however, was an international sensation, one that helped form the romantic image of pirates as swashbuckling rebels. Over the centuries, other writers added even more unverified details to their stories. One of the most elaborate depictions was Mistress of the Seas, a book written in the 1960s by a now-deceased writer named John Karlova. He introduced names of people said to be Bonnie's parents, William Cormack and Peg Brennan. He wrote that after escaping Jamaica, Bonnie remarried, had at least eight children, and moved to Virginia, where she died in her 80s. His book didn't cite verifiable sources, and many scenes had the kind of dialogue found only in diaries and letters, or in the imaginations of novelists. Still, as the years passed, many of those unverified descriptions were repeated as if they were fact, and the Anne Bonnie legend grew. As Rodriguez tried to sort fact from fiction, he contacted historians and began searching online archives in Europe and in the Caribbean. In one history book, he noticed a reference to Parish Registry of Burials of St. Catherine. That led him to a search on Family Search, an extensive genealogy database operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He scanned a page of burials in 1721. On April 28, 1721, it listed Mary Reed, Pirate. There it was evidence that Reed had died about five months after the trial. Given the timing, it seemed plausible that she died during childbirth. I couldn't confirm anything else about her, he said, but this is still an important discovery. But the lingering question was, what about Anne Bonnie? Curious, Rodriguez searched for evidence that Bonnie was also buried in Jamaica. It was mostly for laughs. I didn't expect to find the mother load of lost documents. 
he stumbled across a ledger of debts for St. Catherine's Parish in Jamaica, the same place where Reed died. There, in the second column, was a name. Anne Bonney. Buried December 29, 1733, and spelled what most people believe to be correctly, A-N-N, with no E, and Bonnie, B-O-N-N-Y. You'll see it spelled lots of different ways, but that's pretty much the accepted spelling now. Rodriguez said he felt absolute shock and joy when he saw her name in the ledger, the first real documentary evidence that suggests that Bonnie lived an unremarkable life in Jamaica after a remarkable trial. But was this the same Bonnie? Common sense suggests it is, Rodriguez said. This Anne Bonnie was buried in Spanish Town, the same place as the trial, the same place where Mary Reed was buried. Another clue was the spelling of her first name, Anne without the E at the end. This was the same spelling in newspaper accounts at the time. The E was added to her name in the General History of Pirates book in 1724 and became the more common spelling moving forward. That would not surprise me if she stayed down there in Jamaica, said Eric Lavender, who offers rigorously researched pirate tours in Charleston. He welcomed the new information. Separating fact from fiction is difficult when it comes to pirate lore, and especially when it comes to Bonnie's story. He said he's received correspondence from people who said Bonnie was a distant ancestor. I tell people that trying to pin down the truth of pirate history is like trying to nail jello to the wall. When I get to the Anne Bonnie part of my tours, I can give you five different versions. Rodriguez included his findings in a video for Debunk File, as we mentioned. After his journey into Bonnie's stories, he concluded that the true and false stories of Anne Bonnie have become a mirror for people to see what they want to see. He said the embellished versions of her life remind him of stories about Western outlaws and how some people glorify criminals as revolutionaries and heroes. Ironically, he said, the pirate show Black Sails has an excellent quote about this. It comes in a scene where the character Reed asks Calico Jack whether a story about Long John Silver is true. Jack's response, as written by the show's scriptwriters, as time extends, it matters less and less. The stories we want to believe, those are the ones that survive. And here are some excerpts from Tony Bartlemy's article from postandcourier.com titled The True and False Stories of Anne Bonnie. So what is the truth, he writes. Well, Governor Woods Rogers of the Bahamas first mentioned Anne in a proclamation recorded in the Boston Gazette. He said the pirate John Rackham stole a sloop called the William from the harbor. He did it with 14 people, 12 men and 2 women. He lists them as Anne Fulford, alias Bonnie, and Mary Reed. A key detail of Johnson's account is Mary dressing up as a man and not being discovered to be a woman until the trial. This makes it all very unlikely. There are some scattered papers of two female pirates on a sloop attacking fishing boats reported through September and October. No names are mentioned, but we know who this is. The big document is the trials of John Rackham and other pirates, a pamphlet printed in Jamaica that functions like a transcript. It's quite rare and very key to the story. The pamphlet mentions that they robbed several fishing boats, sloops, and schooners until October 22, 1720. On that day, Rackham was caught by the privateer Jonathan Barnett, who ironically had served as a pirate alongside Henry Jennings in 1715. He caught the pirate after a pathetically short battle and brought them to Jamaica. Rackham was hanged on the 18th. Anne and Mary faced the court and governor of Jamaica, Sir Nicholas Laws, on November 28th in the courthouse of Spanish Town. Anne Bonny was called Anne Bonny, alias Bon. 
"'There several witnesses were brought forward, "'captains of vessels they stole, "'and witnesses to their crimes. "'They described them as constantly swearing, "'giving powder to cannons, "'and boarding vessels with cutlass and pistols drawn. "'They even tried to kill a female witness at one point. "'They wore sailors' regalia while plundering, "'but dressed in women's clothing went off duty. "'They were called the spinsters of New Providence. "'Now as to what happened to Anne, "'well, there are many theories.' "'Perhaps she was executed after all, "'which would contradict all the documents mentioning the executions, "'so I doubt it. "'I doubt she escaped. "'That would have been quite a public sensation. "'Many believe she escaped after her father paid for her release. "'This is false. "'The name often used for her father is William Cormack, "'and he was a made-up character. "'It might be what shows up on Anne's Wikipedia page, "'but it's not true. "'We don't truly know who her parents were. "'I suspect they were probably just poor folk in England.' "'Nobody rich or powerful. "'Which begs the question, "'when did she go when she was released? "'What likely happened is "'the governor took pity on her and let her go. "'There is a precedent, Mary Critchett, "'the only other female pirate convicted in the Golden Age. "'She was never hanged "'and probably let go due to her gender. "'If let go, "'Anne probably went back to prostitution. "'No paper trail or taxes or owning a house. "'The child that she bore probably died or was taken.' "'Jamaica was a rough place to live. "'It's what probably killed her. "'Diseases like yellow fever or tuberculosis were a constant plague. "'But she managed to outlive Governor Rogers, "'who died in 1732, "'and basically every notable pirate of the era. "'If she could read, "'maybe she even read her own legend in general history. "'Regardless, she is indeed a pirate legend today, "'still going strong 300 years later, "'and dare I say probably will remain popular "'in 300 more years.' She might be a legend now, but she was real once upon a time. She perhaps lived an unremarkable life after a remarkable two-month time period, but it's not what has been recorded, and it never will be. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend, so says a John Ford classic. Aye, a legend it may be and always be, but the truth can be learned if one looks hard enough. Buried treasure may not be real, but finding the real story behind a nearly mythical woman is nearly as sweet. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast, and we do encourage you to leave a review for us. We really like reviews because they tell us where you're from and what you like about our show. Also keep in mind that we have a network of 1001 shows, including 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, which is always competing with 1001 Heroes for the most listeners. And we have 1001 Stories for the Road, where we share adventure stories, like Treasure Island and The Call of the Wild. There's 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which has become very popular. And there's 1001 History's Best Storytellers, where we house all our interviews, 1001 Greatest Love Stories, 1001 Radio Days, and much more. Coming soon, 1001 Stories from the Old West. So stay tuned. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and we offer all our stories weekly every Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So until Sunday night, everyone, stay safe out there. It's a crazy world and getting crazier. And we'll be back soon.